Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome to The Critic's podcast. I'm Olivia Hartley and I'm joined by Dr Arabella Byrne, who's a freelance journalist and writer with a doctorate in French studies. So this week marks the bicentenary of the death of Napoleon Bonaparte on the remote South Atlantic island of St Helena. Dr Arabella Burns here to tell me why Napoleon remains such a polarising figure in France and beyond. Arabella, in your piece with the critic on Wednesday, 5th of May, on why Napoleon represents such a public relations conundrum for modern heads of state, you said that the French have always argued over Napoleon and that the debate over him continually divides the left and the right. And that was made very clear in a lot of the discussion that surrounded the topic of his death on Wednesday. He's depicted Mm -hmm. as a warmongering despot by those who condemn him and a military hero and strategic genius by his admirers. Does the truth of his nature lie somewhere between these two perceptions? And what are some other misconceptions about Napoleon that persist to this day? Yeah, okay. Hi, Olivia. Thanks for having me on. I think um, I think the interesting thing about Napoleon is that people have been, I think the French, well, I say people, I mean, I, th- I think the French public have been arguing about Napoleon since he became consul. And I think part of his kind of um, divisive so the nature of his division is because he's the sort of everyman. So he's, he's a man from Corsica who became emperor. He's a man from nowhere who rose to great heights. And I think that this division is, I think, I think that part of this polarization of his memory is in part because people are, I think people see themselves in him. And I think people are, I think the French in particular are unwilling to sort of let go of this sort of cult of the individual, this cult of the hero. Um, and I think you see when you look at Macron talking about him I think you see this kind of desire to emulate him and a desire to step back at the same time um obviously you know I I think that we can't think about France without Napoleon but I I I think it's also quite difficult to reconcile some of his legacies like we talk about you know his reinstatement of slavery or his kind of like reversal of the fortunes of women after the revolution and I I think um, I think it's about finding a balance between those two things. And I th- what, I, what I find so interesting is how the French are kind of caught between memory and history in this regard, caught between the like concrete circumstances of what happened and their need to enshrine him in French national memory. You definitely get that perception when, when you were looking at the discussion mm. on Wednesday. And let's talk about some of that coverage that followed on Wednesday, the actual date, yeah. the bicentenary of his death. It's, got, it's difficult for me to think of another historical figure that's so divisive, but is also commemorated in this way. Why is it, do you think, that Napoleon has had such a long-standing legacy and what kind of examples can we see of his legacy today? Yeah, so I think... Um, Well, I mean, I think I'll sort of start with examples of his legacy. I mean, I think obviously all over France, there are very concrete examples of his legacy, just in like the Vente de France or in the way, you know, just in terms of the very like concrete landmarks that you see when you walk around Paris and his statue on the Vendôme. I think he's up there with Joan of Arc you know, de Gaulle, um, Napoleon. I think in terms of divisive figures, I think it's really hard to find someone who who encapsulates this 
you know, this kind of problem. I, I think it's amplified mm. in the time that we live in. And I think you saw Macron talking about that when he talks about, like, I, I refuse to read history anachronistically. You know, he's he's yeah. making this kind of very pointed um, refusal. And I think a lot of the French press were saying, you know, it's so amazing that he's uncancelled Napoleon for our time. Um, I also think he has a very fine line to tread. And I think this is a problem that you see, like, you know, in 20th century French sort of politics and culture and thought, which is about thinking about the imperial past and the Republic and thinking about France, you know, the French Republic as something apart from their kind of, you know, the kind of perhaps it's bloodier moments, you know, and I think there, there are a lot of French intellectuals who sort of struggle with this, with this idea in a way. You made, you made an interesting point there about how Macron's, he's deemed to have uncancelled Napoleon, kind of going on to a wider theme of the culture wars. Do you think, where do you stand on the cancellation of historical figures? Do you think that it's quite ahistorical, anachronistic, and actually such figures need to be viewed in the context of their own time? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, th I think, you know, I'm totally with Macron here. And I, th I think that, you know, imposing this kind of reading of history onto the past is problematic. I think it's, um, I, th I, I think in some ways it's lazy thinking. Uh, I think with Napoleon, I think what's interesting is that you see um, this sort of desire for him to be, um, you know, I think you just see this sort of desire with the right, the French right, to keep him as a figure, as this kind of totem of their past that can't be cancelled. And I think you see politicians and, you know, French thinkers treading this fine line, because who who would the French be without Napoleon? And I, I th so I think, you know, cancelling him is just, I think it's a very complicated you know, and, and I, th I think I'm not sure that these terms cancelling and uncancelling, I'm not sure that that kind of, I'm not sure that these terms are, are very helpful in some ways, because I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that a large part of the French public ever saw him as cancelled, you know, I mean, he remains, you know, a, a, a subject to total fascination for the French, and they still publish an enormous amount of books on him every year. So I think it might be the Twitterati, or, you know, or this kind of, um, idea that he's been cancelled that, that that some people might subscribe to, but I, I think for 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 the French, I think I, I'm not sure that he ever has been written out of their you know their national sort of narrative in that way. I think the kind of whole concept of history as an academic discourse it's built on debate, isn't mm. it? It's, it's by comparing yeah. and contrasting debate over time. That's how we understand figures mm. in the context that they're in and. You need that yeah. You can't just cancel it then you just write it off. I think you're right. I think it is lazy. Speaking of sort of all the biographers that have arisen of Napoleon, the historian Andrew Roberts, who is one of the biographers of, of Bonaparte, has previously made re remarks that compare Macron to Napoleon. Why do you think this is? And do such comparisons have any substance? Yeah, I think it's... Um... I think the idea that Macron was a politician who came from nowhere, he was very young, um, and I think, well, he didn't come from nowhere, but I think politically he formed his party, you know, his centrist party, and he, he's young, he has a lot of the qualities that Napoleon has. Um, and Napoleon was incredibly photogenic, well, I say photogenic, but he was incredibly sort of pictorially appropriate um, for his role as emperor. And I think that Macron embodies some of those qualities, but I think it's this cult of the individual that is so alluring to Macron. Um, 
And I think that, you know, I think that Andrew Roberts is very, I think he's very keen to stick to this idea as, of Napoleon as a great man of history. And I think, um, you know, I, th I think that Macron is someone who would like to see himself in, you know, in that mould. And I, I, I also think that, um, I think it's interesting how, you know, Macron, he, he doesn't, uh, you know, I think he, he's not sort of, uh, disavowing any of these comparisons. I think he's quite happy for them to play out around him. Um, but also, you know, I think if you look at Macron's diary for the next week, I think he's he's doing something like, um, I think he's he's trying to be, I think he's trying to be the every man of the sort of political spectrum in the next week. He's, I think he's cele celebrating Europe Day on Saturday. And then I think there's some sort of um, anti-slavery day that he's doing on, uh, on the next week. So he's very conscious of sort of holding Napoleon in both hands, I think. That's interesting that you said Macron's diary is full of all these sort of commemorative events. And that's something that you mentioned in, in your piece for us. You said that the French are obsessed with anniversaries. Why? Why is that? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant sort of peculiarity of the French um, kind of psyche that they like to, I think they like to constantly sort of pinpoint their, their sort of, their national narrative in this way. I, th I think, you know, there are historians who point to the fact that this kind of frenzy of commemoration might have something to do with the decline of France um, in modern times and the kind of decline of French intellectual thinking, you know, these kind of grand intellectuals that we thought of in the, you know, in the mid 20th century, like Sartre, de Beauvoir or Foucault, I mean, they simply don't exist anymore in the same way. And, um, and so I think it might be either a corrective to a sense of decline that they feel, um, but also it's about, you know, I mean, all these, all these anniversaries are about power and they're about, you know, it's a way of kind of exhibiting a power, a kind of this French idea of power to themselves and to the world in general. And I, I think you see that very much, like just in terms of, I think you can see this idea about how the French, they, they're not simply content with, you know, imperializing or colonizing people. I think what I think what they're trying to do is to change people to be more French. And I think you see that in, you know, just in terms of how they branded the colonial project um, in itself as a mission civilisatrice, you know, so it's not it's not enough that we must colonize you, we, you must become French like us. Um, and, and that's something that's always fascinated me, I think. Yeah, I think with all those anniversaries, it's sort of a way, it's quite a linear, it's a very linear view of history, isn't it? It's sort of saying, hey, you know, we're still here. These are things that we've done, sort of trying to place itself and try and restore some of its yeah. historical legacy. And, you know, that's a lot of the reason of why Napoleon is, is commemorated. I personally found a lot of the kind of discourse mm. surrounding uh, the bicentenary of his death really interesting because it, there was so much discourse mm. on it, even even in Britain, and it helped dispel a lot of myths that I perhaps had of Napoleon, um, a lot of interesting new insights. So perhaps I think anniversary is quite useful for that. I, it certainly led me to do more reading. It led me to realise that actually, you know, Napoleon was considered uh, very short, for example, in it, it, that's sort of a figure, a, a perception that people have of him is that he's very short because he sort of rose when, when sort of British caricatures were taking off. But actually, you know, he was what, five foot six, five foot seven, the average height for a Frenchman. So I think anniversaries and the discourse yeah. around them are really helpful yeah. in this way. Yeah, I think they're important. I think they're a corrective to kind of um, misinformation and, um, you know, if you, if you want to call it myth that spring up around figures over a kind of cumulus of history and how we think about them and over like changing political 
and cultural contours. I, I, I think that we, I think, I think that we need these anniversaries um, to a certain extent because I, I think, um, you know, I, th I think this kind of uh, this long view of history is really important. Um, especially in the especially in the age that we live in, you know, where we live in an age where everything is kind of, you know, news moves so quickly. I think it's really important to take this long view back and to see that, you know, um, this kind of these these sort of changing papering over of digital views are not necessarily how it you know how it was or how it works. Um, I think literature is really important in that regard to look at these literary representations of Napoleon and see how they kind of you know how their their lifespan was a lot longer than perhaps public opinion now in the in this kind of digital landscape. Let's kind of talk about how the commemoration played out on the day. Macron was, yeah. was predicted to tread very carefully sort of in his mm -hmm. honouring of Napoleon's death. Um, how did that commemoration play out on the day? And was there sort of a general consensus, if any, on how it was handled? Yeah, I think the general consensus was that he had, um, he'd been his own man on that day, that he had... Um, you know, that he'd commemorated him despite, I think there was a lot of chattering about whether he would or he wouldn't or, you know, and I think in the end, he's, I think he's trying to set a very clear tone here. What I, what I also liked is, you know, and I think I said this in my article is that he, he kind of, he was able to commemorate him by, you know, standing sort of one step by, you know, this sort of separation between Napoleon and the public. And I think you saw that when he went to the Institut de France and Les Invalides, um, you know, so he's looking at these these great structures of the French past and Napoleon is within them. But, um, you know, I think I think the fact that we you know, there wasn't an explicit image of Napoleon there is is, you know, very important um, just just in terms of kind of how you enshrine these figures in in, you know, in, in national memory. And I, I think I think that the French are kind of uh, sort of up for this in a way. And I think that's part of the, the kind of memory boom that you saw in France from the 80s. Um, someone called Pierre Nora, who wrote a lot about memory, but it's this kind of like the relationship between history and memory that I think, I think the French are still sort of negotiating really. But I, but I, I thought I thought Macron was sort of, you know, I thought it was a subtle, I thought it was a subtle and a kind of tacit nod to the way in which, you know, historical figures have to be in some way separated from the circumstances in which they lived. And, you know, um, I think it was Hugo who spoke a lot about that when his ashes were brought back from St. Helena in 1840 in the July monarchy. So kind of what you're saying is, is that perhaps the least polarising way of commemorating these figures is, is less sort of celebrating or honouring the individual but more understanding the ideals that they represented yeah I think so and I think I think that um I think at the moment I think Macron's very keen to hold on to the sort of ideals of education the ideals you know the ideals of the enlightenment which so much of the republic is still you know um sort of enthralled to and I, I think um I think that he I, I think it's it's sort of going from the individual to the ideology and I think that's what they're trying to do there really but I mean so much so, but that that's not a that's not a sort of straightforward thing either I think and I, I, I think that people have been trying to do this as I said earlier with Napoleon for a very long time 
and in his lifetime. When he returned to Paris for the Hundred Days, you see Benjamin Constant, who um, was one of his sort of opponents, who kind of goes and tries to rework, the, you know, this idea of Napoleon from the public in what he wrote. And um, I just, I, I find that fascinating, kind of like looking at how even in his lifetime, there existed this palimpsest of sort of, you know, of, of images. But I, th I think in, I think, you know, in the hundred days when Costan was doing that, I think very much what they were trying to do, which is what Macron's not trying to do, is to resurrect the man from the myth. Whereas I think at the moment, Macron's trying to kind of put, you know, this, this, this myth, which has become enshrined in French nationals sort of, narrative before the man but I, I i think his audience at the time after you know after the napoleonic wars were interested in napoleon as this figure who was a sort of tortured um tortured genius an exile you know and i i, I think that's i think that's a sort of curious little you know sort of um move that that constant managed to do even though i think a lot of people sort of wrote that off as partisanship I find quite interesting sort of sort of a dual fascination both with Britain and in France and I think that even persists mm. back from you know when he was exiled um, to St Helena others were calling for him to be executed but you know the British they kept him alive on this island of St Helena and we commemorated mm. his his death you know a lot as well it sort of appeared in all sorts of publications from the Guardian to the Spectator to us why is it that the British yeah. still uphold this fascination with Napoleon? Yeah, it's a curious thing when you think about Waterloo. I mean, I, I, th I think, you know, I think that the British are able to look at Napoleon with a, you know, with a very different set of eyes than we are. Um, I think that we might think of Napoleon in terms of a sort of victorious British past, if you think about Wellington. And I think that's something that we're quite keen to hold on to. I think it's interesting that Napoleon never made it over here. Um, so, you know, so in terms of our sort of actual concrete physical territory in the way that we think about him, I think that we're able to sort of, um, I think this fascination is from a distance and, and that, that might be part of the kind of boom, you know, this idea that, you know, that we can, we can think about him in ways that, you know, he hasn't quite infringed perhaps upon the, upon the physical sort of boundaries of our island and thinking about kind of like those boundaries in terms of, you know, just in terms of sort of commemorative boundaries and how we think about figures. You know, you're an expert in French literature. What sort of representations mm -hmm. are there of Napoleon in in popular culture over there? Is he quite? Does he crop up quite a lot as a figure? Yeah, I think I think that you know, I think that Napoleon as a figure does appear throughout. You know, definitely in nineteenth and twentieth century letters. I, I think I, what what I what I find fascinating is the way um, the way in which really he's he's more remembered for the people who opposed him in French literature than he is for the people who championed him. So if you look at someone like Madame de Stael, who was um, obviously exiled by Napoleon in her lifetime and then wrote a sort of treatise condemning him. Um, I think it's more interesting that that's the sort of canonical text in French literature than say, I don't know, something like, you know, the one I mentioned in my article about the Memorial de Saint-Hélène by Las Castes. Um, so I, I, th I think opposition to him is probably much more um, popular in a way in French literature, which is a, a sort of curious little pocket there. I think I'm, I mean, I'm sort of trying to think in terms of 20th century, you know, representations of Napoleon in sort of in French culture. 
I think around, you know, around the First and Second World Wars, I think people still looked to Napoleon as a military genius. You sent me a really um, interesting piece about a fallen Stanley Kubrick biopic on Napoleon, which I think would be fascinating because it would, you know, make it quite accessible over here if there was something in the English language about him. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. Why did such a thing fall through? Well, I think that's that's the Kubrick thing is interesting, actually, about how that didn't work. I. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, my, my first thought would be <laughs> on a more prosaic note, just in terms of budget. Um, I think sort of restaging the Napoleonic Wars would be a very expensive thing. Um, I also think, you know, I also think I wonder how well Napoleon works for film, which which I think sort of dreads back into my original point about separating the man, you know, from from the symbol. I wonder how, you know, I wonder how palatable any of us would find him um, on film, really, and how sort of just just how sort of filmic, you know, these kind of contradictions are. Although, of course, Abel, Abel Goss did the 1920, I think it was 1921 film of Napoleon, which is still very popular in France. So sort of on a on a final note, do you sort of agree with a lot of these representations that we we should be commemorating the ideals, not the man. And do you think that Macron made the right call in the way that he commemorated Napoleon's death on Wednesday? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that. I think. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure that I think that we should edit out these sort of bloodier bits of Napoleon because I think we should take him as a whole. I think, in terms of Napoleon's survival in 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 the narrative, I think Macron did make the right call. Um, I think we need Napoleon. I think France needs Napoleon. I, I think also, you know, just in terms of where France is going, I think, you know, I think representations of Napoleon are sort of, they're going to become more and more critical, um, especially in the run up to the sort of to the presidential election next year. I, I, I think that in sort of, you know, in, in doing in sort of in in the way that he did it, I think that Macron was was a sort of I think he was a smooth operator. That's interesting. So what's what's on a on a final final note? What is the next yeah. weird and wonderful French anniversary that we can expect? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as we come up to all these, I mean, this might be this might be sort of some way off, but I think as we come up to the run up, you know, the run up to the Second World War, you know, a hundred years since <coughs> the Second World War, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see, you know, a kind of um, a sort of flurry of commemorative activity in France, and you know, and De Gaulle especially, I think, is someone who, you know, that's that's going to become a total frenzy. I think if you look at the First World War centenary commemorations in France and how they, you know, how they very much kind of try to distinguish this idea between war and glory. Um, so it's treading this fine line between looking at, you know, which is very fashionable today, which is looking at the kind of the trauma of war, um, but also, you know, notionally sort of reconciling all of this trauma. And I think you saw this with all the sort of trench stuff with this idea of victory, you know, this kind of almost pyrrhic victory when you think about the devastation. Dr. Arabella Byrne, thank you so much for joining me, talking about French history and memory and Napoleon Bonaparte. It's been a fascinating and enlightening discussion. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.